This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. So many of our provinces in the country do have informal settlements and many of the requirements and the prevention steps for COVID-19 require distance, require homes and many things that informal settlements do not allow for. To unpack this further, we are joined by Pumeza Mlungwane, the Senior Program Officer at International Budget Partnership South Africa. Now, the International Budget Partnership works in collaboration with multiple actors, including civil society, state actors, international institutions, and the private sector, to bring about a world in which empowered citizens participate in open, inclusive budgeting processes to shape policies and practices that promote equality and justice. Welcome to the COVID Report. Pumeza, thank you so much for joining us. Now, the essential elements of COVID-19 prevention are hand washing, disinfecting surfaces, physical distancing, and quarantine for those infected. But some of these requirements are not possible for people residing in informal settlements. What have been the grievances that you have encountered with residents during the lockdown? Um, thanks for the question. Um, I think for us, um, sanitation and access to water, specifically for informal settlements, has always been an issue. And, and I think the conversation we've been having with residents is how do we make sure that the national guidelines are translated in an easy way for people in former settlements? What does it mean to use a communal toilet, but still try and keep yourself safe? What does it mean using a communal tap, but still make sure that you, you limit your chances of contracting um, the virus? So our conversations have been in, in, in a context where you can't just wash your hands all the time. What is it that you do? So it has been about finding innovative ways of, of, of doing some of the basic stuff. Very interesting stuff. Now, as the International Budget Partnership of South Africa, you guys are currently locked in an initiative called Asivikelani. Could you please um, expound on this initiative for us and the benefit of our listeners as to what this initiative entails and how it uh, benefits residents of informal settlements? So Asivikilana started about eight weeks ago, and it was an initiative to say all of us, um, when I say all of us, IBP and its partners, and that would be your FSS core plan, your, your plan act, um, your cork. These are organizations we're already working with who their work is targeted at basic services and informal settlements issues. And it was to say, we find ourselves in this crisis. What does this mean for our, the communities in which we work? And so there's three elements to, to the campaign. One is saying, what are the emergent um, emergency issues that we find? So for water, which areas that don't have water at all? Which areas don't have um, informal settlements? I mean, sanitation. Which areas don't have... Um, uh, proper refuse collection and because we know now uh, during the lockdown everyone is at home and so um, there's so much pressure um, even much more than before to ensure that um, our communities are much more clean and safe and so we're asking three main things very basic questions no interactions with residents they're all all the questions are done over the phone um, using different technological tools to say do you have water and we take all this information we, we use it for advocacy and engagements with municipalities to say, look, Ekuruleni, this is what your informal settlements are telling us. And we're hoping you're going to use this information for targeted service delivery. We, go, we take the same information, we go to a municipality like Etegwini to say, 
you have a responsibility to make sure that these communities are safe. And this is where we, we feel you should target your engagement. And obviously using different means of um, educating our communities as well to say, we understand your, the situation with COVID-19 makes, makes it desperate for everyone, but it makes it much more desperate for people in former settlements. And so um, what can we do given our environment? We know there's a history to the problems that informal settlements have, but what do we do under this emergency situation? Because we need to think differently in terms of how we deal with informal settlements. And, and basically that's what Azevigilani does. One, it's educational. Two, it's monitoring all the issues on the ground in real time, because we do this every two weeks. And three, it's using the information to engage with municipalities for targeted service delivery. targeted service delivery and over the years we've heard stories of informal settlement residents being evicted from the areas where they live because they were referred to as illegal dwellers has there been any reports of evictions of residents in informal settlements during the pandemic and are evictions allowed during this pandemic so we're not working directly with um land um, questions and, and, and evictions. But I think um, we know that from a number of informal settlements, there has been a lot of evictions which um, have been heartbreaking because as I was saying, we need to deal with service delivery different. We need to deal with communities different, especially informal settlements who are vulnerable. And so there has been um, a number of evictions, but in terms of dealing with it directly um, as an organization, we haven't. But, um, but yeah, we know that there's a lot of informal settlements that have been really treated unfairly. Um, but what we know is that what you're saying about how informal settlements are treated as illegal, we know right now that there's informal settlements that have been without water, their water has been cut um, um, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, and, and, and I think it's, it's, it's trying to change this mindset of how municipalities are dealing with info, the informality. And many informal settlements are more than 20 years old, but for some reason, um, our government is still dealing with them in an informal uh, manner, which is, 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 is a danger to how um, strategic we're gonna be at finding solutions. I think this qualifies as a perfect segue into my next question. You mentioned um, the government and the and the questionable nature, so to speak, with which they with which they've been engaging with informal settlements. Now, as far as your call for government to take the lead in ensuring that access to clean sanitation facilities in informal settlement communities is a is a priority um, or one of the priorities as the country observes its COVID nineteen peak. Can you take us through the responses or any kind of feedback you've received from government level and as well as how forthcoming they've been in engaging you on the matter? Um, thank you for that. And I think, um, firstly, it, it, for us, we've been learning and um, it's affirming that different municipalities relate differently to their communities. So you'll find in an area like Eteguini, the municipality has been very responsive. Um, when we give them the information, they really go to the communities and fix um, 
they've delivered tabs, they've developed toilets, but at the same time, they still have some challenges. And this is where we feel there needs to be a little more engagement with communities. Like, why is it that you wait until a crisis for you to deliver very, very basic services? Because it's not a new thing that some informal settlements don't have toilets and don't have water. And the environment itself, we should be dealing with the fact that they are in informality. And so these are questions we're starting to ask. You find that in an area like Buffalo City, uh, municipality, um, there have been um, numerous challenges with cleaning of toilets. Um, and when in, the municipality takes the information, um, yes, sometimes they don't deliver and install new taps. And, and because of this question, again, of informality and that we're hoping that we're going for upgrading in the future, we're hoping that we're going to move these um, um, communities and therefore it's not um, justifiable to, to install permanent infrastructure. But on the other hand, we see like a very softer response where they're saying, okay, tell us how do we make sure that these communities are safe now? We've seen over the past few weeks where they really said, okay, cool, we have janitors that are cleaning these toilets. How do we make sure that they are protected? And this is what Asifikran has been able to identify. And they've been coming forth and saying, can we make sure that they've got protective um, um, equipment because the janitors that are cleaning a lot of the communal toilets are still residents of these communities and 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 so we've been seeing um different uh responses um in an area like cape town um where the municipality has been saying we have our own monitoring system we don't need another one and i think for us we've been explaining that this is actually not just monitoring this is voices of the residents this is residents telling you that yes, we are scared of COVID-19. Yes, the, the disaster um, management act says we must um, stay at home and, 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 and follow the lockdown rules. But there are risks that are beyond our control that we can't actually um, uh, work around because of the areas in which they live. And that, that conversation with the city of Cape Town turning out to them, thinking, yes, we... We're thinking of this in the monitoring, but we will um, speed up the cleaning of these facilities because if a toilet is touched by a hundred people and it's not clean, chances are people are at risk. And so we're seeing different responses and the engagements with the municipalities are, are also different. Um, the level of detail in which the municipalities actually deliver are also different. Um, and so, yeah, they, these are all the different dynamics, but I think at the heart of our work is just saying, let's make sure that we try and be um, very mindful of the environment in which informal settlement residents find themselves. So in your answer, you touched briefly on the Asivigalani program being used by local governments and various governments to monitor the situation and to actually respond. Can you expand on that and how is the initiative being monitored to ensure that the basic needs of the residents are provided? And what are the results that you have seen since the initiative has been implemented? So, um, the, the, as I said, the, 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 the Asivigalani campaign has three main questions and we've got four now. Uh, which is just asking very specific, basic questions. And we're trying to say, um, to reinforce how basic this conversation is. We've added another question now um, about uh, public lighting, um, which again, is something that has been a problem throughout. 
Um, and I think some of the main issues that we're finding is one, 2020, under a, a health pandemic, there's still communities with no tabs at all. Not temporary, not tanks. They don't have tabs at all. And our argument is how do we make sure that we deliver services in these areas? Two, cleaning and monitoring of uh, public uh, or communal toilets is still a major problem in all the municipalities. Uh, we find that the routine cleaning um, of actually cleaning the actual toilet and surfaces doesn't happen in a lot of informal settlements. And when cleaning happens, it happens in, it's not um, routine. It will happen once in a while. Um, and we find that problematic. We still find that there's a lot of areas where there is water and taps, there's still issues with water pressures um, where water can be just um, cut at any point without any engagement with the communities, without telling them that we're gonna cut your water at this time. Um, we still feel that um, there isn't proper conversation happening with informal settlements residents under this crisis. Yes, we're talking about what is it that we should be doing? How do we protect ourselves? But the, their voices in, in that consultation is not really um, reflected. And, and that's also something else um, um, we've, we've been noticing. Um, and yeah, but like as I said, different municipalities are, diff are responding um, at different levels to, to, to some of the issues. And there are still um, communities with no toilets at all. Um, and one of the things that we've been um, having, I think it's in the com conversations with the different municipalities, is them saying, but like since the COVID started, we've been delivering and so much money at delivering the services. And our argument is, if you are delivering these services and they're not felt by the community, surely there's something wrong. Surely there's a, there's a gap in how you're monitoring where you're delivering. And I think that's what we're trying to say. You might have a list of uh, a thousand tanks in, in, in Johannesburg that you might have say you might have on your list as a municipality to say, we've delivered this. Uh, but if that's not felt and if residents don't see that on the ground, surely there needs to be a different conversation. Maybe it's a monitoring or it's how you're delivering those services. And, and this is what Pacific Land is trying to unpack because the fact that we have temporary solutions right now, which we, many of us don't like uh, in terms of like chemical toilets and water tanks, but we are where we are right now. And we do need um, some form of relief for these communities, but there needs to be a conversation as to how do we ensure that we don't find ourselves in this situation in the future. A reinforced call for more sustained engagement. Now, you touched on the ways in which um, certain municipalities um, haven't been engaging with the needs of their communities and how certain municipalities have been engaging but have not um, delivered on the on the promises made with the same vigor that the initial the initial issues are addressed. Now, um, in re in reference to the Asvigelani press release statement issued on uh, June the 17th of this year, there's a number of complaints regarding basic service shortages in Cape Town and Etekwin in some parts of Johannesburg, to name a few. As far as um, improvements in providing the required services. Can you take us through um, where things stand as far as that's concerned? And also what, measure, what measures you, you guys 
put in place or try to put in place to keep the members of these municipal boards accountable for the for the promises that they make and the the the, the plans that they make to deliver services where and if needed and required um, thanks for that. I think I mentioned, for example, in areas like Etiquini, there's a community called Avoka. They didn't have toilets and they didn't have water. And over the past few weeks, the municipality has used this evidence to actually deliver um, temporary chemical toilets in that area. But that area still has problems with water. They still don't have a tap. And so in our engagements through Asivigilano with the municipality has been to say, we really appreciate that you've delivered these services in this area but we also want you to deliver water. And in an area like Cape Town, um, the engagements of saying you have so many communal toilets um, and how, how can you ensure that they, the ones that are existing are, are properly cleaned, they're fixed, they're maintained, because obviously you find that in some areas there is toilets, but they're broken. Um, the leakages and they have no doors and so people still can't use it. And we've seen... Um, the city of Cape Town actually saying, instead of cleaning three times a week, whatever the contract might be, we will clean these facilities every day so that we prevent any, um, any contamination. But you might also know that using communal facilities doesn't only put you at risk um, of COVID, but it puts you at risk of it, many other health-related issues which we've been talking about for years. And so an area like Cape Town has started um, doing routine maintenance where they actually clean toilets every day. So there've been areas like BM section in Cape Town, informal settlements residents telling us, look, for the first time we've started seeing them um, cleaning um, every day. Um, and, and, and as I've said, like um, municipalities like um, Ekuruleni, we've seen a huge push on, on the delivery of water tanks um, and also having that engagement with residents as to, yes, we might put a lot of water tanks in these areas, but I, are they in the right spot and are they accessible to people? Are they safe enough for women to go get the water? Um, are they filled routinely? Um, and we've been noticing in some areas that, that there are water tanks, but sometimes they don't have water or they run out of water um, before the time. And so these are some of the issues we've been um, highlighting. And, and it's encouraging to see how some municipalities are really um, um, using this information in a positive way. Definitely. And you mentioned some good success stories, including Etekwini, but there are certainly good news from other areas like Buffalo City, where residents' yep. needs are being, are being met. How are they achieving the consistent basic needs service? And how can this be implemented in other areas that seem to be struggling with executing weekly or daily duties? Earlier on, you also mentioned the innovative solutions. What are those innovative solutions? Yeah, I think the first one for us, we've had to adapt because a lot of our work is is on really engaging with communities. It, it has been about social audits, really using municipal budget information um, and seeing what that looks like on the ground. And so the first thing was we are on a lockdown. We can't go to communities. And it has been about how do we use uh, technological solutions to engage with residents. And so um, I think phones, um, different um, 
mediums of communication on, on online, um, your WhatsApp, your SMSs, pictures, videos. Um, we've started taking uh, a few episodes where we're recording some of these issues and we're really highlighting what the issues are in each settlement. I think we've had three so far. Um, we've started doing pamphlets where we're saying, instead of printing out the pamphlets, we'll try to see how this pamphlet can be utilized online. And the pamphlets, some of them are simple to say, if you are using a public facility, um, how do you touch it? How, what are the ways which are not a solution, but they can minimize your exposure to a lot of the surfaces? Um, and so it has been about like just um, amazing way of figuring out how do we still ensure that the voices of our community are amplified but using different technological tools without going to a big community meeting and 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 um and really um tapping on the leadership of our communities because a lot of our leaders have been doing this work for for a while and they they know what the issues are and so for me that has been um a very powerful um element of the campaign the second one is yes i think in we are working in six uh metro municipalities and we've started also working in eight um, local municipalities, which are smaller um, municipalities and big cities. And I think for us, we're starting to see the, 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 how government operates in all different spheres, which um, is going to be a lesson for us on how we address the issues in the future. Um, and, and so, the, yeah, the, the, the positives and the challenges are across the board. Um, I'm just curious as far as the mechanics of putting an initiative like this together and you've touched on the technological elements of your campaign. When we talk about the on the ground element, the staff that are required to clean toilets and hand out soap and sanitizers to residents of informal settlements, how many jobs have been created through this initiative? Unfortunately, we haven't looked that far. Um, we really haven't looked at what does this look like from the municipality side. But I think from the engagements, what we are learning is, is, is that um, we, we're also learning how municipalities themselves are starting to think differently about the provision of services in informal settlements. Um, there's more money, um, as you may know, that has been put at delivering basic services. We did a statement about a few weeks ago on how the USDG grant has, has, has really added money and resources to municipalities. And so from our end, we, because we are only civil society organizations, we, we haven't really engaged on what it means for municipalities. But what we have done um, through our engagements is to say, this is what we're good at. This is where we are. This is how we position to really um, get this information from residents. But how do we make sure that this information is, is useful for you to do targeted service delivery? And so for us, it has been about being creative and saying residents do want to engage, but how do we make sure that you know exactly where the problems are, you know exactly where in the community the problems are, um, so that you actually deliver. So it has been more on trying to, to amplify the service delivery rather than um, be on the other side of, of the municipality. But to say, how do we make sure, for example, in some um, municipalities, they've been saying, yes, we can see where the issues are, for example, in an area like Steve Ligo or in an area like um, uh, Emma Landini. 
but how can you make sure that you actually put the infrastructure number so that when we look at it from our system, we can exactly know where the GPS coordinates of this are. And these are the things we've been trying because we know that's improving the speediness of how some of these services are delivered. Uh, but in terms of municipalities, we feel like this is the moment for creativity. This is a moment to reimagine service delivery and, 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 and it's going to be a collective process. And they can do it on their own, but they're going to need residents to really um, influence how that looks like. And lastly, in light of this phenomenal initiative, and there will be a time where COVID won't be our number one priority, what is the ultimate goal that you want to achieve with this initiative? Is it to outlive COVID? What is its end goal? Um, thank you for that question. I think for us, it, it was weird how, um, because we've been working on these issues for years, base, issues of basic services um, is our work and our partners. Issues of budget, um, advocacy is at the heart of our work and so that's what we've been doing uh, where we've been really doing monitoring taking for example budget contracts and uh, from the municipality and going to the community and really analyzing if what has been delivered is what's on the contract but really also looking at the promises that municipalities um, say about informal settlements and how those reflect in municipal budgets and how communities understand those. So at the heart of our work, for us, this has always been, um, yeah, at the heart of our work. And so Asifikelane has just allowed us to expand on it, has allowed us to do it during this crisis to say, we, 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 we also want to say yes, um, residents have a responsibility to make sure that they they follow the guidelines and they keep safe because we also don't want to expose all of our, ourselves. But at the same time, this doesn't take away the responsibility that government has, especially for informal settlements. So we don't think this is going to stop, um, but we do think um, this is going to influence how we do our work beyond COVID. It's going to influence how municipalities deliver services beyond COVID. It's going to influence how our policies around informal settlements themselves are structured. Um, it's going to influence whether we deliver permanent or temporary infrastructure. And I think all of us want to get to a place where all informal settlements have permanent dignified services that they deserve. Um, for us, it's not about whether they're on legal or illegal land. We feel like municipalities have a role and government as a whole have a role and a responsibility um, to think and plan for, for these communities and not use their illegality um, as a scapegoat. And so we're hoping it's just going to influence how we do our work, but we don't see it stopping because um, I think for all our partners, there's about eight partners working on this campaign. When I say partners, I mean, um, it's a collaboration of eight partner organizations who have been doing this work for years and we don't see it stopping. We just see it you know, evolving um, beyond COVID. We have just heard from Pume Zamlungwana here on the COVID report. She is the Senior Program Officer at International Budget Partnership South Africa, talking to us about the work that they are doing in informal settlements to help them aid their fight against the COVID-19 pandemic. And what better way to look into this matter than to speak to residents of informal settlements themselves. And here's what a few of them had to say. Hi, my name is Aquiline. I'm a young girl from the Toho Foundation and I live in an informal settlement called Stueta. Living in an informal settlement, it's a very challenging thing 
because we often get judgment from the people outside since our since our like since our settlement it's in it's outside Alex so like people from outside tend to judge us about where we're coming from and it often breaks our confidence the challenges that we're facing here it's because we don't have proper infrastructure we lack libraries we don't have healthcare facilities near near us and like we find it there are no job opportunities schools are far so like we have to go to schools in Alex and that's and like that's where our nightmare begins at home living in such an environment um whereby there are a lot of taverns whereby one can study because of the taverns that are around us whereby one can't well then one can't even like right now we like we have electricity issues whereby the electricity can take the whole day without being here and right now we can't study the online stuff it it requires network and without electricity the network reception here it's very bad so it's a very challenging phase for us as a youth because we lack motivation that's the first thing and most of our parents ain't working there are a lot of illegal electricities so it's a very risky place to be in hi my name is Lebona Lekalakala Living in an informal settlement is not easy since we do not have schools, libraries, water, clinics, and also we suffer from the internet connection. When we are at school, learners laugh, laugh at us and mock at us because of our environment and how we live, how dirty it is, and also they say we stink. <clears throat> and also like when we are at home, it is difficult for us to study because we are mainly in our houses. When maybe you want to do your homework, this side, there are children, you get disrupted, and also your neighbor, make noise because since our shacks are near each other when someone makes noise this side you also hear it from your house and also like since our toilets are far you must make sure that you do not go to the toilet at night it's dangerous our toilets are near the graveyard you might get killed since women and children are being killed this nowadays you can get killed or raped and since we are five to eight people in our in one room if maybe one person wants to bath we all have to get out so that we could give her some privacy we do not have some privacy you don't have your own room and also the toilet we can also get the infections since we share toilet like eight families to nine families and they only clean the toilet once a week and that was putty and aqualine sharing their experience of living in an informal settlement during the time of a pandemic this podcast was brought to you by voice of vids by voice of vids to hear more of our shows tune in to 88.1, 88.1.
or stream via www.varfm.co.za.